Hey, it's time for another edition of Spitting Lugs with ESPN's Tom Lugabill. I'm Lance Taylor from Disrupt the Media. And the next round, it is always brought to you by a couple of sponsors, a new one. How about this, Lugs? A little Manscaped, the handyman. Ooh. Manscaped.com. Put in that promo code Lugs at checkout. Uh, they're going to hook you right. up. That's L-O-O-G-S. Put in Lugs. Uh, so Brown up here, he tightens the beard with his. I, I work on the undercarriage. You got to keep that junk trimmed up. Um, <laughs> you, you've got the beard nice and trimmed up there. So you're, hey, we've got a a, a gift pack coming your way though, and Good. it not only has the handyman in it, it's got some other great stuff from our friends at Manscaped.com. But check that out. Excited about it. Uh, let's start first in Neyland, a uh, little Texas A&M, Tennessee A&M. Uh, I didn't think they played bad. Against no. Alabama, they had opportunities to win that game. I still think it's a really talented team. But my question to you is, no Connor Wegman. Obviously, um, Tennessee has got a new quarterback this year in Joe Milton, a guy from the Big Ten to the SEC. Uh, he is not what Tennessee had last year. But who has a quarterback advantage in this one? Would you say it's Max Johnson or Joe Milton? I would say it's Max Johnson. And I agree with you, Lance. I actually think Texas A&M is a pretty good football team, yeah. you know. And um, and and, and it, listen, Max Johnson has thrown 45 touchdowns to eight interceptions in his four years in college football, right, when he started games. A lot of people would say, wait, are you sure? Is that right? Yeah, it is right. Go look at it. Um, and in 2021, he threw, he threw 27 or 20, 27 touchdowns in, in 2021. I trust him more. I think that that's the, the bottom line is I trust him more. I think with Joe Milton, what you see is what you get. What he has been at Tennessee is exactly what he was at Michigan. And I and I can't get it out of my head having the game a year ago, week two, excuse me, two years ago. I'm losing track of time. Week two, Pittsburgh comes into Knoxville, and Joe Milton's a starting quarterback. He did not play in the opener very well. And he goes out on the first it, – it, he was pulled by the beginning of the second quarter. Why? Because for all of his gifts, he misses wide-open targets. He throws the ball up for grabs. He takes risks with the football. Um, Through two interceptions last week. I just don't trust him. I think what you see is what you get with him. And, listen, I know there are going to be a lot of people out there say, oh, dude, look, he can throw the ball a mile. Who cares? Like, I could care less if he could throw the ball a mile. Yeah, do you remember – I care uh, where, where he throws it and who he throws it to. Do you remember Dan McGuire out of San Diego State? Mort McGuire's My dad brother? coached him. That was my dad's quarterback at San Diego State. How, how far could Dan McGuire throw the football? About 100 miles an hour. Now, I'll make one excuse for him. <laughs> okay. He had the Bo Jackson injury his second year at Seattle. And it was, it, it was, he was never the same from, from uh, that standpoint. But at a different time in a different era, and when people say he was six foot eight. Now you got me got me off on a tangent. Yeah, sorry, but I've this never is seen it. fascinating. A lot of people I tell uh, the story about Dan McGuire. They're like, Mark McGuire didn't have a brother that played in the NFL. I'm yeah. like, hell, he's a first round guy. I mean, the guy yeah. had like physical attributes nobody back then had. He he helped get my dad's program off the off the mat early on when he took the job over there. Six foot eight, and I mean all the six foot eight in cleats and a helmet. He might have been six nine and a half, right? And it was funny because when you'd watch him throw the ball, he had such a powerful arm, but he was so tall that the ball always looked like it was coming at a downward traje trajectory, right? And he could make every throw on the field, and he could make it look easy. Um, and that stuff's great. 
And, and, and you know what? If you got it and you're fortunate to have it, that's fantastic too. But if the ball doesn't go where it's supposed to go on a consistent basis, it really, it really doesn't matter. And so, you know, let, let, Joe Milton has got to start playing more consistently for his athletic gifts. So I go with Max Johnson because um, I trust him more. And I also think he's got the better team. Like he, he is on a better team than what Tennessee has fielded to this point, despite, despite Tennessee being 4-1. and one. Okay, back to the tangent. Why do tall quarterbacks not work? Brock Osweiler, Ryan Mallett. Uh, you hear this story, and I think the number is 6'7". Once they're over 6'7", it's just not going to work. You know, if a quarterback's under six feet, it's not going to work. If they're over 6'7", it's not going to work. Is there really anything to that? Or is the fact of the matter, we just really haven't had really talented 6'7"-plus quarterbacks? I think as the game has evolved and we started looking at athleticism and the ability to run, more importantly than height and weight, that's what's happened. If this was a conversation we were having 25, 30 years ago and everybody's in your traditional multiple pro style set or you're in the old Dennis Erickson one back offense and everything was was from within the pocket in the passing game. You might have some boots and nakeds. You could play with those guys, all right? As the game's evolved and the game has seen a change because when the quarterback can take off and run, it's completely altered how people have to play and prepare on defense. And so the Brock Osweiler, the Dan McGuire, that was what made Ben Roethlisberger different. Go back and watch him at Miami of Ohio and watch him move, watch him run around. And even for the first probably 80 to 85% of his NFL career, but he was, he was a, a unicorn. He was an enigma. So unless you're going to be that high, that size, you're going to have to have some serious athleticism for that stigma to be to be removed. And that's why with the shotgun and the wide splits, the 5'11", six-foot guy that never used to be recruited or do anything, he's all over the place now because they can move. Speaking of all over the place, we're going to get all over the place now. I know I've got topics in order, uh, but this has just opened a Pandora's box for me. Oh, maybe just throw it at me. Let's go. I just got up from a nap. But a couple of things. So uh, we talk about the athleticism. What's Hold that? Hold on a second. Did you yeah. really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was you like a 20. 20- nap? It was like a 20-minute nap. Yeah, I take naps in our green room sometimes. I get up really early. I stay up late, especially with the Major League Baseball playoffs and these football games. I mean, the fall. And I don't sleep good to begin with. So whenever I can grab a quick nap, I'll grab one. Dude, I'm I'm, – So I had the App State-Coastal Carolina game last night in Boone. Great game. I had Coastal, by the way. Grayson McCall finally shows up. I'm happy for the kid. I know. I know. He played really, really well. It was a great game, great atmosphere. I don't get to bed until about 1 o'clock, wake up about 6 drive back down here to home, get on my conference a call for college football live. Then I get on my coach's calls for the University of Arkansas. And the whole time I'm going, could I find a half an hour? Could I just find a half an hour? And then we get off the conference calls. College football live starting at 2 o'clock. We just got done with that. I'm on with you at 2.30. We go for 35, 40, 45 minutes. Then I come off of that and I go on ACC Network with Mark Packer. And tonight's supposed to be date night. Every Wednesday, no matter what happens in the Luganville household. I love it. I'm what I say, no matter what happens, barring some injury or somebody gets hurt, it's date night. And now I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get through date night. Okay, I'm going to have to backtrack and unpack all this. So what does date night typically entail? Do you guys, do you cook at home? Do you actually go out to eat? Do you mix it up? We, we, We have a couple of local spots that we really, really like. 
Um, and then sometimes we'll go off on a tangent. Every now and then we'll do like a splurge where we'll say, all right, we're going to go to Steak 48. We're going to go to Eddie V's and, and have like a really good one. Most of the time we just go down to some, some of our downtown haunts. We always go out somewhere, though. And, and it's just the two of us. And uh, we, we, we catch up on everything on the week and look forward to what's coming up and just have we date. Like we, yeah. we, we literally date. We don't go to the movies. We don't do stuff like that. It's, it's a meal. It's some wine, maybe some bourbon. Talk about the kids. Talk about what we're going to watch when we get home. Hey, we got to catch up on this or we got to do that. And, and, and my Wednesday evening is really the only evening that we have um, to do that when it, when it's in season. And then when I'm pulling double duty, like I am this week, and I got a couple of more, maybe two or three more in November and into December, like there's stretches where I might be home for half a day, but gone for six and a half straight for however many weeks. And so it's important, man. I recommend yeah, man. it for everybody. Dude, I love that. Everybody thinks you're just uh, one of the most knowledgeable guys out there that just stretch thin from coast to coast and working all the time. But you've, you're able to find that slot in there for the wife, and that's why you're happily married. So congratulations. I love to hear Thank that. You. It is Spitting Lugs with Tom Luganville from ESPN. It's brought to you by our friends at MyBookie.ag. Football season in full effect. So is winning season. Go to MyBookie.ag. Put in that promo code next round. Start winning today. Get that bonus. Terry Hepner and that – Miami of Ohio team, and I'm going to go backwards. But the late that, Terry Hepner. Yeah. Damn, that guy could coach. And, you know, that yeah. team, I tell people all of the time, that was one of the best group five teams I have ever seen. They were a legitimate top five team that year. They lost the opening game, I think, to Iowa, uh -huh. and then they won out. Yeah. that You know, it's so funny because I cover a ton of MAC games, and I, I always joke at, at that level. It's You know, you're, you're getting all the Midwest kids, for by and large, that all want to go to Ohio State or Michigan or Michigan State or, you know, Indiana or Purdue, but they're just quite not good enough, right? So you get all of those kids. And then in that, in that league, and you can go all the way back to, uh, let's just say the late 90s when Marshall entered the MAC and it was Chad Pennington and then it was Byron Leftwich, right? But I joke, you could take all of the, those teams and switch all of their uniforms and not be able to tell the difference between who was Toledo and who was Central Michigan and who was uh, Ohio and who was Northern Illinois, except for one position, the quarterback position. And if you look at those teams, the teams with the best quarterback are always a team that win 10 or one or more games and then have that magical moment like you were talking about, like Miami of Ohio had. I mean, whether it was Bruce Gradkowski, right, at Toledo, Dan LaFever, I got a favor for LaFever uh, uh, at Central Michigan. Oh man, the 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 Chandler Harnish and Jordan Lynch at Northern Illinois, yep. like all of those guys. You run down the thing, Charlie Batch at Eastern Michigan, and when they all had one, Joshua Cribs, Bowling Green. Yeah, yeah. Th there you go. They they were all the best guy, um, or Omar, Omar Jacobs for Urban Meyer. Oh Bowling yeah, Green. yeah, yeah. There, there's there's another good one. So I always get a kick out of that because it's so weird, and I do two or three of those games every year, and I have for the past. 15 years and it never changes it's amazing the greatest coach in the history of uh of all of football on any planet in any solar system sean mcveigh was a miami of ohio guy <laughs> and i wanted to ask you uh, you know it's still one Great of the more coaches well i i really think the more amazing accomplishment for sean mcveigh is not only being to two super bowls in this early part of his career winning a super bowl but being the georgia state player of the year over calvin johnson johnson the, did you watch Sean McVay in high school, and was he that good? 
Uh, he was he was before us. He was a year or two before us. Um, you know, it's funny you bring him up because I, I mean I've seen highlights of him, and he is actually a really really good football player. Damn, and I think some bad. I think some of that stuff when you have like all state teams or you have player of the year teams in the state, so much of it is statistically driven. Yeah. You know, and and, yeah, and there's no and way those fun. guys, especially back then, were watching those games. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and I get it. You know, it's funny. I'm not going to say which coach told me this, but a former NFL coach told me this about the current state of the NFL, and I laughed really, really hard because of kind of the clout that that McVay has has garnered. You know, oh, in a very Matt short LaFleur, period of time. Kevin O'Connell, uh, Brandon Staley. I mean, hell, he's got a lot of guys out there. So this. <laughs> Former NFL, forty-year NFL veteran goes. You know what? If Sean Vay, Sean McVay went and told, went and told, ex-head coach at whatever NFL team, that this barista at Starbucks down the road could coach football, that coach would hire him. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. And now we'll see how long that holds up. Uh, I so let me ask you this. I, I had a guy on from one of the recruiting services 15, 20 years ago, and he said yeah. the best high school prospect I ever saw was Allen Iverson. So I don't know if you ever saw Iverson in the Virginia Beach area play I, high school I, He football. was before me too, but I've seen highlights of him as well. Yeah, I, I just wonder how good he would be in today's game. And back to a size guy that was an incredible athlete, or still is, how good Le would LeBron James be at the quarterback position? I mean, he's more of a fit. <laughs> at receiver or tight end or defensive end or wherever you want to put him. But if you put him out there with his speed, his hands, his vision, his arm, uh, boy, I mean, he seems like a guy that could develop and be an incredible quarterback. He, I would look at LeBron James as a taller Antonio Gates. Um, I don't know if you can tell. My dog probably disagrees with me. She's yeah, uh, not too happy about it in the background. I apologize for that. One of my dog's birthdays today, Lugs. Shout out oh, to all the dogs in the world. Oh, yeah. There my Vishla, my, my rescued Vishla, I just got a couple of months ago. No, some some dumbass, and I'd like to shoot a guy in the head that did this, but they took the dog out, a Vishla. It wasn't chipped, took the collar off, and just let it go in the woods. And my vet estimates what? it's been in the woods for like a month. Found with 110 ticks. I fostered it. Now I've fallen in love. He's mine, but we're celebrating birthday number one tonight for Bullet. Nice. I love that, man. I love that. Yeah. So, yeah, I would call him maybe a taller Antonio Gates. Uh, we're talking LeBron James. Or like a Tony Gonzalez type of like that hybrid receiver, H-back, total mismatch on the inside between the hashes or between the numbers. Now, Allen Al Iverson, I've seen him as an option-based quarterback. He is a problem, like a, <laughs> a real problem. I'm a handful. So I, I, he'd be a guy that if you put him on tape right now in today's world, he'd probably be a top 15, 20 recruit in the country. It's amazing. It's spitting it Lugas with Tom Lugabill from ESPN. It is brought to you by Lance's Lock. Start winning 3-0 and last night, including Coastal Carolina last night, plus the four and a half. I Did you get it. it? I got it. Taking that dude, you are there. crushing it, dude. I know. Yeah, 3-0 and last night. We ended the week. We had uh, the, the Vegas Raiders as a five-unit play. So if you want to win, it's really simple. Jump on board at Lance'sLock.com. It's only 100 bucks per month. Best value out there. You will win with us at Lance'sLock.com. So I want to take it back. Well, go ahead, Luke. Hold on real quick. You were sweating, though, with two minutes and 20 seconds oh. to go. Oh, well, I mean, it turned I into kind so of – bad for App State, man. Oh, man. Yeah, and, and not to, to get on a big App State tangent, but I do want to ask you before we get back to Neyland because I did want to ask you about Tennessee's defense currently right now. 
But it turned into a little bit of a track meet. Love the fact that Coastal had the awareness. And I forgot the CJ kid or whoever the running back was that took the knee right there on Beasley. the one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah when he took the, yep. Yeah. That was awesome. But is Sean Clark uh, an App State guy in trouble? I don't think so. And I hope not. Because number one, he's a really good football coach. He's a, an even better human being. What I think's happened is the Sun Belt is really, oh. really, really good. Yeah. Like they're better than the American. Well, you know, than, yeah, I don't they think they may be better than some ACC teams. But if I was one of these guys, um, and I don't, do you have, is it all the coaches together that recruit on Power Fives, or do you have a selective portal guy? Because if I'm digging through the portal, I'm looking through the Sun Belt week in and week out. No question. No question. And those guys will have been developed. They will have likely redshirted, and they've, they've come along at a later rate. They're just late bloomers. You have to. How can you not? Well, if you really think about it, they've rated themselves. Like Sam Pinckney, the wide receiver at Coastal, was at Georgia State. Like it, it, it's crazy. And then, you know, you talk about the stuff about Jamari Thrash, that dude at Louisville, Georgia State, right? So um, what, what's cooking down at Georgia State, by the way? Holy smokes. I, I mean, know, right? Man. So, yeah, I, I hope that Sean Clark's not in trouble. I just think the conference has become so much more competitively balanced than what it was. They made a really smart transition by finding a conference they could compete in early. And the conference was not what it had become or what it has become. So it gave them some early advantages. And now I just think the playing field has been leveled out a little bit. Do you hear some, uh, if you're a casual college football fan watching us here on Spitting Lugs on Disrupt the Media, like, subscribe, give us that thumbs up. You're hearing some names you probably haven't heard. We're about to get to the most underrated Power 5 player, according to Tom Luganbill. I'll try to chime in. But real quick, Tennessee, their big problem last year, Hennon Hooker was fantastic, Jalen Hyatt. That team could score. I love how Josh Heupel calls a game. But the defense was a big problem, especially on the back half of that defense. Yeah. How improved is Tennessee's defense this year? I think it's relative to the teams they've been playing against to some degree. But I'll say this, against South Carolina, um, Spencer Rattler had 45 pass attempts. They only threw for 169 yards. So hard to do. So obviously they're they're keeping the ball in front of them. You know, that's the biggest thing is they're not, I think, and it wasn't just last year, but it really in the last two to three years, it was just the ball going over the top. The ball over, you know, over and then they would give up big chunks on the ground to their athletic quarterbacks. But I, I just think they've done a much better job of defending the deep ball. And then when the force the quarterback to go underneath. They're not giving up leaky yardage. They're tackling well in space. So earlier this week, or, or since this past weekend, I've been really hyping up two SEC quarterbacks. And one is the play of Carson Beck this past week against oh, Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, he was fantastic. We'll get to him in a second. And the other, and I don't want to call him the most underrated Power 5 player, but his team has two losses, and it's not his fault. And that is Jaden Daniels. The dude is a warrior. Um, he has turned into a complete quarterback. He's got no fear. He has learned how to not only throw a deep ball, he's got touch. He can hit all the routes, in my opinion. He's got great vision. I think he's playing himself into the first round right now. Yeah. But nobody, if, if he was undefeated, and Joel Klatt said this first on our show from Fox, he said if they were undefeated, he might be leading right now on most Heisman boards. I don't know where you've got him, how you feel about him. I'll let you comment on those two quarterbacks, Jaden Daniels and Carson Beck, and then you get into your most underrated power five player or players. 
All right, well, let's start off with Jaden Daniels, and it's interesting you brought this up because I had to, for our game last night, bring up my top five Heisman candidates right now. Number one, I had Kalen Williams. Number two, I had Brock Bowers. Then I went uh, Michael Penix, Bo Nix. And number five, I had Jaden Daniels. And my commentary when we had the full screen uh, up was, I know it's really hard for a, a, a two-loss team or a three-loss team, even though RG3 won it on a three-loss team, for you to even be invited to New York. But if they were undefeated, he would be the leading Heisman Trophy candidate. He is absolutely carrying that football team in every conceivable way. So he should be a Heisman candidate, and he should be in New York. Um, Carson Beck, to me, I think I mentioned it to you two weeks ago off of the, the Auburn game that I felt he really grew up at Auburn. You did. And then they got it home, and for the first time all year, they got off to a fast start. And that had not happened for Georgia. And then they started feeling themselves. And remember we were talking about, all right, you throw to Brock Bowers, and then sometimes he's covered. But he's really not covered. But because he's not covered and you have, you have so much confidence in him, it's hard for a quarterback to not want to force the issue and to stick with his progressions and to work from one to two to three to four and get to the check down. I thought that he did a really good job of that this week. And rah-rah Thomas – and Marcus Roseby, Jack Saint, did a really good job of coming up with big plays when they were counted upon. I mean, that, that, that's the bottom line. So it, it alleviated some pressure off of Bowers because Carson Beck went through the progression, and I thought he was decisive. I, I thought he showed anticipatory traits. What I mean by that is knowing where the route's coming from, being ahead of it on the coverage, and throwing the guy open was done really, really well. Um, he clearly has arm talent. But I, I thought he turned a corner. I thought the team turned a corner because of the start. And it's easy to sit here and have criticism of Georgia up until last week and say, well, they just don't, they don't, they don't look great, this and that. Okay, well, it's not how you start, it's how you end. And the second half of the ball games for Georgia, they've been really, really good. They yeah. just happened to, for the first time all year, put four together. Now, here's my guy. Okay, well, let me say one thing real quick, though. Yeah, I was, I've been a Stetson Bennett fan. And I know he's dealing with some stuff, you know, getting drafted by the Rams. I was excited about that because I think he's got the intangibles. And watching him at Georgia the last couple of years, obviously the guy knows how to win. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, and for the first time, I think technically Carson Beck is going to end up being the better quarterback. I don't know if well, you agree he's got with better that. physical attributes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that what made Seth and Bennett so good was marginal physical attributes, better than people gave him credit for athleticism and an aptitude that you can't coach, right? So we're starting to see maybe Carson Beck developing some of that aptitude, but the physical attributes to maybe do things with your arm, fit the ball into a certain spot are just really, really good. Yeah. Okay, let's get to it. Most underrated Power 5 player, according to ESPN's Tom Lugenbill right here on Spitting Lugs. We do it every single week. Disrupt the media. Like, subscribe. Give us that thumbs up. Where are we going? Give me the, the school. Can I even guess? The Godfather. Do you know who I'm saying? Talking about? Uh, uh, Mitch from Mitchapalooza in old school. <laughs> Luke Very Wilson. Good one. Very it's good the Godfather. One. It's our the very Godfather. clean, disease-free friend, <laughs> yeah. Mitch, over here. Um, so the Godfather is a 6'2", 318-pound. Defensive nose tackle for the Cincinnati Bearcats by the name of Dante 
Corleone. Oh, wow. He's third team All-American a year ago. Um, was an absolute monster. And nobody was really aware of him. And if you go back and watch the Oklahoma game, where they won 21-6 to on the road at Cincinnati, and it was tough sled. Go watch this guy. He looks like a... He looks like a keg with arms and legs. <laughs> he's super bow legged and he is just on he's a handful to deal with at the point of attack. And you know, first year at power in the power five level, I thought he was a perfect guy to pick when you when you said, Hey, be thinking of this. Because I wanted to pick somebody that's really good that nobody knows about. And also the fact that they're new to the power five level, he's doing the same things. He had three or three and a half sacks a year ago at the group of five level, already has two now from his nose tackle position, it got multiple tackles for loss. So that's that's my most underrated power five guy. I, I love it. There's the a guy lot of guys that choose from. Yeah, now, is he a guy that is starting to rise up on boards? I mean, I know he he's will probably... be, but he's not draft eligible yet. Okay. Well, yeah. hell, watch this guy progress. And I'll and maybe, I guess at the, uh, the nose, if we want to call it the nose tackle or defensive tackle position, I guess you don't have to be ultra tall, right? Not anymore. I mean, yeah. if you can play with leverage and you got a quick first step, you're seeing a lot of guys that just aren't. I mean, that's Aaron Donald. Yeah. My favorite 99, 99 problems. Uh, hey, look, Spitting Lukes is always brought to you by our friends at Manscaped, manscaped.com. This right here is the handyman. They've got a million different products, fantastic stuff. Again, like to trim that junk. The woman in your family is going to be happy about that. Your package hasn't come in. And uh, speaking of packages, <laughs> I'm going to the mailbox today now. Yeah, you need to because you got date night tonight. Need to trim that yeah. shit up. Uh, yeah. I need the package for the package. Yeah, right. Exactly. Use that promo code Lugs, L-O-O-G-S, at checkout. So, LSU not only survives, they get a cover on a pick six. Thank you very much. Another winner at Lance'sLock.com, minus six and a half. <laughs> I can't believe they won that game. Missouri wanted it more. I, for whatever reason, I mean, Missouri just, they were playing possessed. And I give Eli Drinkwitz, a guy that never gets any credit, a lot of credit having that team ready to play. Luther Burden third, outside of Jaden Daniels, probably best player on the field. But LSU wins the game. Everybody's dogging out their defense. Is giving up, I think it's 110th in scoring defense, giving up over 33 points per game. Now they've got the Auburn Tigers fresh off a bye coming into uh, Tiger Stadium. Auburn has lost seven consecutive SEC road games. LSU 12.5-point favorites here. What is better? The LSU defense that is getting crushed right now or the Auburn offense that looks like it's finding a little bit of identity with not a lot of playmakers under Hugh Freeze? I, as bad as LSU has been on defense, I'm going to say LSU is better. And it's not necessarily because they play better. It's because Auburn is so one-dimensional right now that I don't know how they would be able to move the ball through the air. I thought their game plan, I mentioned this with, with, with Ryan Brown uh, earlier in the week, thought their game plan, plan versus Georgia was great with the quarterback run stuff and having to play 11-on-11 11 11 defensively. But at some point, you're going to have a slip-up or a, a missed assignment or a, a negative play, and you're going to end up in third and long. Like what, so what, what now, um, what do you do in the, in the passing game? Because the problem is, I think Auburn's really good on defense. But what is Auburn going to do if LSU gets out like 17-3? Because Auburn is not built to get into a track meet. That's all LSU can do right now is get into a track meet. So I think it benefits LSU. Do you think um, you know, Brian Kelly is – I mean, look, he's a great coach. We've talked about him before. That's why I'm really surprised they're in this situation. 
But is this a situation where they keep pedaled down? Like they know we've got to score as many points as possible. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. doesn't matter what the situation is. Anytime we've got ball, we're scoring. I think it's going to be that way for each and every week the rest of the season for them. There's just there. It has to be until they can either settle down or they come up with some different answers or they simplify or they try to, you know, come up with whatever tweaks that they could find week to week that can work for them defensively. I think they go into every ball game, barring any injury to the quarterback, knowing full well that, hey, we we, we might have to just outlast everybody. It's Spittin' Lugs with ESPN's Tom Luganville. I'm Lance Taylor from the next round. It goes on Disrupt the Media. Make sure you like and subscribe. Tell your friends about it. We do this each and every week. So there is a rumor out there that Tom Luganville will be flying into the state of Alabama this week, or are you going to be driving? One of the two. You're going to be here. You're going Alabama-Arkansas early 11 o'clock kick. Um, Let's get into this game a little bit first. Are we going to be able to get you in studio? We've got a kegerator here. I don't think you've ever seen our facilities up here at Disrupt the Media. I've got a pernicious IPA wicked weed on tap. It's fantastic. I had one at the dog park yesterday. Um, I've got Stella on tap. Uh, We have, I'm going to guesstimate, over 35 different bourbons behind our custom bar. Yeah. What? Yeah. So you're, the invite is out there. I've got a ton of gear. You've got some of our gear. If you can make I've it. I've got with, none of your gear, by the way. Well, we've got a ton of it here. I, we're, you're 45 minutes away from Tuscaloosa. From the airport, from Birmingham's airport to Tuscaloosa, you got to come past us anyway. So you really don't have any excuses. So basically, I need to stop in there when I get in, which yes. I may do. But the problem is you might you guys might be on air. You can come jump in. We got an extra seat. Oh, that's now now we're talking business. Yeah, what time do you get in Friday? Do we get to drink beer on air? Beers. I can't <laughs> I, Hey, they can't hold me back. We went uh, I came as Tupac two Halloweens ago and I started pounding them at 9 a.m. and I pounded them the whole show for 4 hours. So, let's yes, go, to answer man. your let's question. Go. Let's do it. Hey, so what so, time will you be in? I think I actually I don't know it off the top of my head, but I think because I gained an hour flying from Charlotte direct I want to say I land at 12, excuse me, 11.45-ish or 12, somewhere around there. So my partners are getting in slightly after me, and then we're meeting up with my former partner, who I was with for four years, Greg McElroy, and we're going to have a late lunch. What I may do, because I get in first, I may come and just leave the airport, come see you guys, and then meet up with them. Yeah, hey, look, McElroy's in that highbrow neighborhood they call Mountain Brook. Oh, I know um, it. Yeah, yeah oh, you know I it. Know so it. I, he, he literally, his house is like 10 minutes away from here. So he's going to be meeting you on this side of town anyway. Yeah. So just come to us. When they hit you up, then you can just take off to your lunch. We'll hang out. I'm in. I'm in, dude. I'm in. Okay. So Alabama, Arkansas this week, the reason that you are coming in on business. Um, Alabama, man, that was, it wasn't the best performance. I'm really liking what Jermaine Burton is doing for this team. Sure. I like Jalen Milrow. You said he was going to grow up. He is growing up. The offensive line is still a work in progress. This yeah. defense, I think, is is pretty much lights out. Um, now Arkansas is rolling, and people are talking about firing Sam Pittman, which is some of the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Uh, I don't know if there's dissension with him and some of the power brokers there in Fayetteville. I personally like Sam Pittman. I know it's been a disappointing year, but three of their four losses by one possession to pretty good football teams in Ole Miss, LSU, and BYU. Uh, I know they got no shot in this game, but Alabama, is this a team – 
that is going to get better and better every week and with no key injuries. And Malachi Moore is one of those guys right now, which would be a key injury. But if they can stay relatively healthy, are they going to be in play at the end of the season? Yeah, they'll be in play at the end of the season. But two things have got to somehow get corrected. They have to come up with some way of handling movement in the offensive line and 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 creating some type of run uh, game, particularly on early downs. It's been a real struggle for them. And, um, and there haven't been in many answers or any answers yet. And then I think secondly, Jalen Milrow, we have to start admitting, is a really good vertical deep ball thrower. I mean, he can drive the ball downfield. He's accurate. Um, he's got confidence. He's decisive. Where he's not – overly astute yet is in that short to intermediate range where you know you might have to take something off of it you might have to drop the ball in the bucket you might have to change your arm angle and and throw it in a different manner to get the ball out due to the pass rush or you're on the move and you're you know you're off balance whatever you're doing that still is a work in progress for me and so if you can somehow defensively if you're in Arkansas eliminate those deep throws and force him to have to be accurate and patient and work through his progression and take the underneath throw, that's going to benefit Arkansas. Now, that's easier said than done, of course. It, it, it always is. Um, but I do think that he's good. The best, the best thing that's happened to Jalen Milrose, he's got confidence. Confidence goes a long way in sport, in life, but maybe even more so than anything at the quarterback position. And each and every game, if they keep getting a little better, they keep doing and, – and, and credit Tommy Reese and Nick Saban for, you know, Blending their minds together and saying, "Hey, we got to really start focusing on what this guy does and 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 build this thing around him." Are are they a bit of a work in progress? Are they perfect? No, they're not. Um, the penalties are still problematic, Lance. I mean, that is something because they're superior athletically to the people they've played. They've been able to get away with it. Outside of obviously, if you remember the Texas game, ten penalties, two of them resulted in negated touchdowns. But when they're playing against people they're better at, then you know, I hate to say it, and they probably hate to say it. They can kind of get away with it a little bit. And I don't know if if down the stretch, you've already gotten Ole Miss out of the way, Texas out of the way. Down the stretch, will they be able to continue that? I don't know. This this offensive line, uh, you know, they came in. It was one of the, the, the themes that we saw in Nashville at SEC Media Days. I mean, they were talking shit. We're big. We're bad. We're going to lay it down. People are going to realize Alabama football is back, you know, to bully ball. Uh, being a former coach and quarterback, I'm sure you played behind some bad offensive lines. I'm sure you coached some, and I don't want to categorize them as bad. They've played some, some. I mean, some some men out there when they played that yeah. Texas defensive line, the Texas A&M fronts. But with all that said, when you play in the SEC, is there ways? First of all, do you see them getting better? And two, are there ways to coach around that deficiency? Well, I think yes, there are ways to get better and coach around it to some degree. But we got to remember that talent and athleticism doesn't all isn't always equal to experience and age. And when you look, and I'm looking at my my board that we build each week here, and I'm looking. So Caden Proctor is a true freshman. He's playing the most important position on the field outside of quarterback. His backup's a redshirt freshman. Tyler Booker's a true sophomore. Okay, his backup's a redshirt sophomore. All right, so you have a redshirt sophomore backing up a senior in Seth McLaughlin at center. All right, so from the right side, from the center to the right side, you have some upperclassmen that are played. But the left side has been problematic. And a lot of that, I think, is more due to youth and experience than it is to not being good enough. 
they have had the exact same problem watching tape this week that Arkansas had, and that is pre-snap movement has led to getting antsy and procedure penalties. And then the post-snap movement, they have not adapted well to, and they have not handled well. And literally, you turn the tape on them. Arkansas on the O-line and Alabama, and it's almost the identical same problems. Um, and so the, it's going to be a work in progress. The way to coach around it, if you can, or to try to create ways of, of masking it to some degree, is when you are in the passing game, you might have to get creative. You might have to have a lot of backfield action. A lot of jet sweep, a lot of backfield motion. Move the pocket with Jalen Milrow. Um, nakeds, bootlegs, something to where he's not always staying in the same place and where they know the quarterback's going to be at the same launch point, I think can be some things that you can do to help it. Uh, not only football here, Spitting Lou, a little entertainment. My buddy Chief came over on Saturday, and we're drinking cold beer, and we're watching Oklahoma, Texas, and he tells me about – not only do we give out recommendations here, I'm going to give you one not to watch because Chief was like, man, there's this new Netflix movie you got to check out, Reptile. and Benicio Del Toro, I'm in. Terrible. Um, yeah. I saw it. Alicia Silverstone. I haven't seen her in forever, but I'm in. I'm uh, in. Yeah, Justin Timberlake. Uh, you know, had a good st- – uh, and there's some some character actors. Dude from The Wire that was also in uh, in uh, Entourage. He's been in some yep. some other stuff. Uh, so I thought the cast was good, but I knew from the beginning when it popped reptile, when the body was found in the house, I was like, oh, shit, is this a joke or is it real? It was choppy. It was hard to follow, in my it opinion. It was kind of boring. Yeah. Like, I kept waiting for something to happen. I, I don't know how with a cast like that, you've got a pretty good premise, how you can't bring writers in that actually can connect the dots and get something good out of that. But that is one of those that I would stay away from. Luganville is telling you right now, Reptile, no-go on Netflix. Much better options out there. Do you have something good for these Spit and Lugs uh, viewers to watch? So um, I kind of do. I've been so behind because, again, I was pulling double duty with games this week, so I haven't been able to catch up much on entertainment. But um, have you seen, and it's, it's a slapstick comedy, I think it's absolutely hysterical. But have you seen the movie Hot Rod? Andy Samberg, I have not. Yes. Is he like a? Uh, is it like a satirical evil can evil? Yes, kind of. So he's basically like a Napoleon Dynamite loser who who thinks he's like a stuntman, wants to be a stuntman. But it's got like Bill Hader at a time where the only time oh. you, the only way you know who he was <laughs> is if you watch Saturday Night Live. So he had done nothing else. Danny McBride before anybody knew who Danny McBride was, um, and Ian McShane, the greatest villain oh. perhaps of, of any Swearing television him. show ever, Al Swergen. Yep. Um, he's in it. And it's <laughs> – I don't I, – let me just put it to you this way, and that's what I'm going to tell you, your, your listeners and, your, and people watching. If you like Talladega Nights, like if, if you like Wedding Crashers, if you like old school and you're like into that stuff, you know, uh, the, the Hangover. And, and you, I'm all in, by the way. Okay. And if you don't laugh, maybe out loud, in the first three minutes of the opening sequence of the movie, I do not want to be friends with you. Okay. Well, I uh, I have, because of after the long week, I don't do this during the week. Unless I really need to sleep, I will take a nice edible. 
and I will sit back late night after all the games, and I can't wait to watch it. Uh, a girlfriend and I watched Team America. She had never seen it. And- oh, America! One of my top five. Fuck yeah! Yeah. One of my top five <laughs> favorite movies of all time. Oh, my God. I don't know. It's, when I was told it was done with puppets, I'm like, oh, I'm not watching this. This is garbage. Dude, it is Incredible. one of the funniest movies of all time. I don't care what anybody says, and I don't care what political stance you take. If you don't laugh at that right. movie, you have no sense of humor. And it's so I, brilliantly done. It is so brilliantly done. It, oh, it is. You know what's so funny? She was like, is the voice of Kim Jong-un, is it, uh, is it the guy from The Hangover? And I was like, I don't know. And she she was no, like, No, it's, it's it's one of the two. Yeah, it's Trey Parker. Parker. They do all, like, yeah, it's Trey Parker, yeah. She was like, it was Trey Parker. Yeah. And I'm like, Don't oh, you know how busy I am? <laughs> I'm so ronery. Ronery. <laughs> Such Can you imagine stuff. trying to make that movie now? How many? Well, how many hits do you think they put on those guys? Oh, dude! I mean, yeah, there's no I, telling. They can't go to China. I can guarantee you that. Or no, North Korea. They, North to, Korea. they can't go to. They can't go to Hollywood either with what they made fun of with Susan <laughs> Sarandon and Alec. Alec <laughs> Ben Affleck. Only thing he needs more is acting lessons. Boy, they crushed <laughs> everybody. And I agree with Matt you. We're David. so sensitive politically i'm sure there is one side that will absolutely hate that movie but i loved it it was great uh always great stuff from you look forward to seeing you in studio i'll have cold beer waiting on you i love it man all right we'll see you on thursday it's spitting lugs brought to you by lanceslog.com jump on board for all the winners that's at lanceslog.com like and subscribe right here on disrupt the media